Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. City. How are you? Really? That's it? You're going to be that kind of day, huh? I can get angry. I can preach angry. We good? All right. That's better. That's better. Colossians uh, chapter 1. We are in the, the letter of Paul to the Colossian church, the church in Colossae. And we're going to walk through that this spring together. I say spring, and that's hopeful that spring is on its way. Um, Colossians chapter 1, Allie's going to read our passage today. Okay, starting in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So there, there's a story that God is telling. And the story begins in Genesis 1 with chaos. Have you ever looked at Genesis 1-1? The earth was formless and void, and waters reigned. The, the earth begins in chaos, and so creation is God speaking into chaos and bringing order. He aligned waters, gave them boundaries, created land, the sun, the earth has a rhythm. So chaos to order, or shalom is the Hebrew word, flourishing, order. And then two chapters later, the, uh, another person is entered into the story that's the work of evil that, that evil takes the world through human's choice back into chaos that's what evil, evil does is it lures Adam and Eve to rebel against God's good shalom his order and take the world back to chaos and then the story that God's telling goes on that God's going to initiate a plan with one day the hope being that they, that chaos is back to order back to shalom and that's the story that God is telling through the whole Bible that begins with one man named Abram, who God calls him and says, I will make you the father of a new people, you will have many sons, and through this nation will come someone, the rescuer, the Messiah, that will bring order back, it's part of my plan, and through this Messiah, this king, he will bring all nations back to God. That's the promise to Abraham, he'd have a son, a someone turned into a nation, 
That nation would bring out a Messiah through the line of David, King David. And that Messiah would be the hope of the world that would be part of God's plan to take the mystery of the gospel, the good news that God's working this plan to all nations. And so Jesus came on the scene claiming to be that plan, coming from the line of David. That's why the the New Testament begins tracing his lineage back to David. Comes from the line of David, and his kingship looked different. He, He came as a king, but not with power and not with a sword in his hand to conquer enemies through force, but to conquer enemy of evil through sacrifice, through humility, through death on a cross. And in that death, that he would take on all of the sins of, the, of humanity through the world of chaos, he'd take on himself, that in some mysterious way, his death, and then ultimately his resurrection would lead to all nations coming back to God. That's the story that God has been telling all through your Bible. And so Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death, as the psalmist says, David. Through the valley of shadow of death, which is the cross, to ransom people back to God, was raised from the dead. And now, Paul is continuing the story. As actually, he sees himself as he's writing this letter to this group of believers he's never met before. He now sees himself as part of the story. Look what he says in verse 24. And when you first read this, it's going to sound like, what, what is he saying here? Look at this. Uh, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, in my body, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, does that seem weird? Anyone? Like, what's lacking? It almost sounds like he's saying that Christ's death on the cross was lacking something. It's not, that's not what he's saying. But here's what he's saying. He's saying that what he's doing, his ministry, is he is continuing this story, that God is now telling the story through him, and that he is participating in the sufferings that Christ did. In a sense, he's continuing on the sufferings of Christ. And look how he starts, verse 24. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, Paul is um, a minister of the gospel in, in the most hostile culture we could ever imagine. We have no concept for what first century Christianity was. To be a Christian in those days was for Rome to declare you an enemy, a traitor, and to put you on a list to get you in a coliseum to get torn apart by lions. He's an incredible hostile culture where it's against the law for him to spread this message that there's a different king besides Caesar. And because of this message, he has suffered greatly. He has been beaten. Anyone ever seen the Passion of the Christ? Where where he's taken and he's flogged? That's happened to Paul on multiple occasions. Literally the flesh torn from his body. He's put in stocks and chains in in prison. Stocks in those days, they would put, they would bind your wrist and your ankles and they would stretch you very tight, sometimes even dislocating your arms or your hips. He is suffering because of his faith but look what he says i rejoice so we read this passage 
And one of the things we, I spent a, a couple weeks ago time to kind of teach you how to read a passage, how to read the Bible, the New Testament letter. At the very end of this passage that Ali read, he told us why he wrote all of this. Did, did you catch it? It's down in verse 4 of chapter 2, verse 5. He, he wrote it so that they would be able to resist false teaching. Now, we don't know exactly what's being taught there, but there's some teaching there. And so here's what he's going to do. He's going to talk about his life and the method of which he's going to share the gospel, which is his suffering. He's going to talk about the message that is the gospel, and he's going to invite them into this somehow to refute some false teaching that's going on in their church. So as I look at this passage we're in today, what, a, a kind of a rule of Bible study you want to look at is what's repeated often? If I'm trying to understand something, are there words that repeat themselves? And here are the words that jump out to me on our passage today. Suffering and struggle. Verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling. Chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. The, the two words that, that, that jump out to me that Paul has a message for these Colossae Christians are suffering and struggle. That somehow in God's plan that, that Paul sees himself a part of, in order for shalom to be restored, there must be suffering and struggle. Can we agree that to live is to suffer? Can we agree with that? T take faith out of it. T to live is to suffer. One, one poet, George Herbert, said this. I love it. He said, I cried when I entered this world. I mean, as a baby. I cried when I entered this world, and every day shows why. Isn't that good? I cried when I entered this world, and every day shows why. To live is to suffer. But here's the cool invitation that, that Paul is inviting these Christians into, a different perspective in the suffering. A different perspective. He says, I'm finding joy in my suffering for your sake. So the suffering that Paul is going through, which is deep and is vast, he sees for the benefit of someone else. It's a perspective in his suffering. It's like he's leading by example. He's like, listen, I am suffering and struggling on your behalf. I am taking on in my body Christ's afflictions. I'm carrying on this story. And it's for your sake. Now, it's not in spite of his suffering that the gospel is spreading. It is through his suffering the gospel is spreading. Believers, it's not in spite of your suffering the gospel is spread. It's through it. For you to remain faithful, you to fight, to struggle, to toil, to remain faithful through deep struggle, deep suffering, shows an unbelieving world that maybe there's something to this. Christianity has spread all through history through the daring and brave sacrifice of men and women who, stumbly, who, who humbly stood in the face of persecution and loved Jesus more than life itself. As a matter of fact, any culture that tries to um, make Christianity illegal, the gospel spreads more. Look at China. I don't pray this for our church, 
But you don't know what the best thing for our church would be? Persecution. It just always is in history. I, I don't want it. I don't pray for it. So he says, like, to, to be a believer, to be a follower, to, to live, but to be a believer is not a promise to be protected from suffering. Please hear me on this because there's a prosperity gospel that's sweeping our country that says if you love Jesus, you'll never get sick. It's, and it's anti the whole Bible. <laughs> no, to be a follower of Jesus is not to be protected from suffering, but to go through it, to endure it with a different perspective. Which we know, but don't we forget, because I get angry when I have to suffer. God, what are you doing? It's interesting. You, you look at the early believers through your Bible. They never pay, prayed for protection. God, keep us safe here. They prayed for endurance. The Christian life is a call to come and die. You follow a crucified Savior. It, it's a call to walk through the valley of the shadow of death that is to live, suffering, but with a different perspective. It's to share in the sufferings of Christ. That as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I see that there's a different perspective here, that I'm actually connected to Jesus in some way, and the promise is I'll be delivered through my suffering. Now, when I say delivered, sometimes I've been delivered out of it. Praise Jesus. That's the story you get diagnosed with cancer, and then you pray, and then the cancer disappears. We love those stories. Sometimes I'm delivered out of it. But most of the time, I'm delivered in the midst of it. Which means he ain't taking me out. It's Psalm 23. David said it. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. You guys know green pastures and still waters? Can you think of some moments just like, oh, Jesus, I'm alive, and thank you. You know those? Yeah. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> is that what it says? Nope. And even though I do. That's a promise. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm going to suffer, Here's a different perspective. I will fear no evil, for you're with me. In the midst of it, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You're going to bring comfort in the midst of it. Maybe you'll take me out. Probably you won't. But you're doing something. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And even in the midst of suffering, there's blessing. There's a promise that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul's inviting them into the story that God's telling that through suffering and struggle, God is in the midst of it working. And so he says, I, I rejoice. I'm going through the valley. I rejoice, and I rejoice because it's for your sake. So somehow this mystery is that this suffering that Paul is taking on is doing something in them that's going to help them to stay faithful against this false teaching, all the things they're going to deal with. So that's where he starts. His suffering and struggle for the sake of the gospel and for them. 
And now he's going to go into the actual message, like what is the gospel that he is willing to suffer for? Okay? His suffering shows he believes that this is true. Can, can I just remind you of something? Um, sacrificial love is what moves us. Watch any movie. Sacrificial love moves us. People are going to be drawn to Christ, not through your good, perfect life, but through your struggle in which you remain faithful. Let me give you an example uh, from Paul's life. Paul and Silas, uh, I believe they're in Philippi, they go and they preach the gospel there, and they come across this girl who, who has this evil spirit, and she's a slave, and she has a master that's exploiting her to make money. And she has some thing where she can like tell fortunes, or I don't remember what it is, but she has this kind of power that's demonic, but she's a slave, and her master's using that to make money and exploiting her and taking her from town to town. She's a freak show. Well, Paul and Silas come along, and they come into her, and they deliver her from evil spirit. They cast it out, and now she's like talking normal. And so all of a sudden, her master has lost his profit, and he's angry. So he goes and he gets the, the officials in the town, and they arrest Paul and Silas, and they beat them. Think passion of the Christ. They tear the flesh from their body for everyone to see, and they lock them in the stocks. So they're in the stocks. They're spread just like this in the stocks. What did Paul, this is in the book of Acts. What did Paul and Silas do? God, why did you do this to us? God, you said you'd protect us. No, they start singing. Great is your faithfulness. I don't know if they sing that song. They start singing. And all the prisoners were listening to this. Now, side note, Paul's a Roman citizen, meaning he's not allowed to be beaten and put in the stocks like he just did. He never he didn't tell him that. He just allowed it to happen. Well, an earthquake comes. And the jail's destroyed and the chains fall off. And so they're free. And I'm sure all the other prisoners are running away. And the jailer comes in. He's like, he sees what's happened. It's his responsibility to watch these two men. And now they're going to go. He sees them. The chains are off. And they're getting ready to, he thinks they're going to run out. So he takes a sword. He's getting ready to kill himself. Because it's an honor-shame culture for him to let all the prisoners go. It would be shame on him and his family. He will be killed along with his family. But if he kills himself, if he sacrifices himself, his family will be spared. So he's getting ready to kill himself. And Paul and Silas see this. The man who's locked them in the stocks, who pulled their shoulders so it dislocates. And Paul and Silas sees. He's getting ready to put the sword in. They go, wait! Don't kill yourself. We're not going to run. Sacrificial love. What's he say? How can I be saved? Now, I don't think he means saved like we think of salvation. Spiritual. I think he's just like... What do I do here? Well, then Paul and Silas tell him the gospel and he gets baptized. Sacrificial love through suffering is what moves us. People don't care what you know and that you're right. What will move them is you to love them, to sacrifice on their behalf. That's what preaches the gospel. So Paul says he suffered, he struggled, he's sacrificial love, he's, he's, he's poured out on, on their behalf. And so he says he's doing this because there's a message that Paul believes in so much he's willing to sacrifice everything for. Verse 26, here's the message. He said, this mystery, and I love how he calls this message, he says there's a mystery to this. This mystery has been hidden 
for ages and generations. But now this mystery is revealed to the saints. What's he saying? He has a mystery to share that, that God, that's part of God's story that no one saw coming. So here's what he's saying. Um, Moses, or Abraham, didn't know that this mystery was coming. Moses didn't know this. David, even as he wrote, as he wrote Psalm 23, had no idea of this mystery, that what God was going to do, the story God's going to tell. What's the mystery? It has been hidden for ages and generations. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Here's the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So here's the mystery. Now, to us, we're like, eh, okay, that doesn't mean anything. Let's put ourselves first century um, Gentile, non-Jewish believer. You have heard your entire life that the God of Israel, has an, you have no access to because you're not Jewish. Now Jesus died and some Gentiles start coming into the church and you have a group of Jews like, whoa, 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 wait a second. If you want to be really a follower of Jesus, you need to do all these Jewish practices. Men, there's a little surgery we got to perform if you want to really follow Jesus. They've been told they're out. And here's what he's saying. No, here's the mystery that started with Abraham. Do you remember the promise to Abraham? Through you, many nations will come. Here's the mystery. That through the work of redemption, through the death of Jesus, now non-Jews, Gentiles, are welcomed into the faith and Christ can dwell in them just like anyone else. Can you imagine the hope of that? You've been told your entire life, you're out. You're out. You have no access. You're less than. And now to hear, hey, here's the mystery no one saw coming. Christ in you. Here's how he writes it in Ephesians. Therefore, He's writing these Gentiles. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were called, quote, here, here's their name, the uncircumcision. Do, do you hear the jab? The uncircumcision. By what which is called the circumcision by the Jewish believers, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the, that time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of the promise. You were out having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the mystery. And no one saw it coming. No one saw coming that the way God would reconcile all nations to himself is sending himself down to die to restore them all and invite them in. And that now the church is made up of all ethnicities, continuing the story. So he's writing this New Testament community, new believers coming from all these different backgrounds, Gentile, Jewish, slave, free, poor, rich, and calling them together to understand that every single one of them have Christ in them, living in them, that the, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus is somehow on their behalf, every single one of them. That Jesus is the representative. Okay, you ready? You, who were once far off. Anyone have that story to tell? Of what far off looked like for you? <laughs> Living how you thought you should live. While you were once far off, you have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The reason you can sit here and sing 
of this, all the songs we sing is because Jesus was your representative. He lived the life that you could never live. Now you can keep trying. You can keep trying to earn your way. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died a death that you deserve. He was raised. He ascended to the Father. Here's what he's saying. Christ in you is your hope of glory, not you in you, the hope of glory. If there's one thing that we pray that you take away from Hill City Church every single Sunday, it's that the hope of glory is not you and your good behavior. It's Jesus and what he has done. That is your hope of glory. That Jesus is your representative. Okay, here's a, here's a theological term. If you want to do some, some nerd study, look at in Christ. That, just the word in Christ. It's a whole theology that says that it's what he's saying. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Christ means this. Because Jesus is your representative, everything that Jesus accomplished, God now thinks of you as accomplishing. That's what Christ in you, the hope of glory means. Everything that Jesus accomplishes, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, God now thinks of you as doing in Christ. Let me give you this example. Um, any Chiefs fans here? Really? That's it? We're going to Super Bowl. Come on. I thought you guys like go crazy. So here's what's going to happen next Sunday. You're all going to gather on TV. You're going to come to church because maybe that will help. If, if your team, if I come to church, that only helps if you double your tithe, okay? If you double your tithe, then the Chiefs will win. Um, you're going to come to church next Sunday. Oh, God, would you just be with them? Would you just be with them? And you're going to sit around the TV and you're going to watch this game unfold. You're going to cheer for, for Patrick Mahomes and he's going to throw a pass and you're going to go crazy and he's going to throw a bad pass. Like, come on, Patrick, come on. Like, like you could do better. I know you're going to do that. And then, and then I'm telling you, he's going to win the game. He's going to throw to Kelsey and then on the last minute we win. And you're going to go to work on Monday or school and here's what you're going to say. Hey, we won. We won. No, you didn't. They won. You didn't do a darn thing. You ate potato chips on the couch. <laughs> you couldn't even run 100 yards without stopping. You didn't win a thing. But you believe they're your representative, so we won. You see the parallel. Jesus accomplished your salvation. You didn't do a darn thing about it. And it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the message that he believed. So follow his flow. I'm suffering I'm struggling. It's on your behalf. Here's the message. Let's just make sure, Colossian Church, that you understand the true message that Gentiles you're in, which tells me one of the arguments that they're hearing is that if you're Gentile, you're less than, and he's trying to blow that up. And now look what he's going to do. I think he's going to take his suffering, the message, and he's going to invite them into it. Let's go to verse, verse uh, 29, chapter 1. This I, for this I toil, this message of Christ in you, I struggle with all energy that he powerfully works in me. For I want you to, to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those that lay out of Decia, that's another church 60 miles away from Colossae. It's actually the church that Paul started, and then they started the church in Colossae. And for all who have not seen me face to face, he's struggling for them. Why? Here we go. That their hearts may be encouraged. Because they're going to have to endure what Paul's going to endure. That their hearts may be encouraged. They'd be knit together in love to reach the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
So here's what he's saying. I struggle, I toil. It's for you. Here's the message. Christ in you. Now, here's the invitation. I want your hearts to be encouraged. We're going to walk through these three things. I want you to be knit together in love. I want you to have full understanding of this mystery. Let's go through these real quick. Your heart's encouraged. Like, here's what he's saying. My suffering's on your behalf because you're going to have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The story of first century Christianity is people being plucked out of these churches and taken to the Colosseum and torn apart by lions. So he knows they're going to struggle. Now, here's the other thing. I don't think he knew this. As he, so, so you imagine Paul, he's in prison, he's writing this letter to him. That they will be encouraged through his suffering because they're going to suffer. And history tells us within weeks or months, less than a year after this del- letter is delivered to the church in Colossae, that region's struck by an earthquake and the town is destroyed. It's gone. So much that it's wiped off the face of the earth. Like this, Col- and this isn't Bible history, this is world history, we'll tell you that. This Colossian church is getting ready to face just devastating loss. I don't think Paul knew it, but I think the Spirit did. So can you imagine a few months later, whatever's left of them as they're picking up the rubble, say, man, Paul told him that he wanted us to be encouraged because we're going to go through suffering, and here we are. His suffering was for their benefit Because every single believer will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hill City Church, we are the beneficiaries of saints who have gone before us. They walk through the valley of the shadow of death on our behalf. For hundreds and and thousands of years. But let's even go short term. Many of you are new at Hill City Church. You are here because of the suffering and the struggle of people that believed in a vision to take the gospel to the middle of Springfield to reach university students and everyone else in a way that other churches weren't doing. You're here because of their suffering and struggle. So it started with a man named John Marshall, which many of you don't even know. About 10 of you doing here. He was a pastor at Second Baptist, believed in Brad and I enough to send us out with money and promise, and he suffered and struggled to make that happen. He fought for you before you even know who you are. He fought for you. And as we launched Hill City, we had no staff. We had myself and Brad and Katie trying to start a church. We didn't know what we were doing. We just started doing things. Uh, and, and people stepped up. So kept upstairs, last hour, this hour, we have kids ministry happening. You know the foundation? Emily Majors, Candace E. Hayes, Emily Hood. Suffering and struggle to form what would be Hill City Kids. We started a, a church. We say, listen, we want to, when we sing on Sunday, we want to tell the story of the gospel. We don't know what this looks like, but we know we want to walk through the, the glory of God, our sin, and have times like lament like we did today and, and then go to the cross. And we want to tell the story. And so we had a team of, of worship people that labored, struggled to, to help tell this story. They meet together on Monday nights for hours to plan out how do we do this? Um, we have worship, uh, a production team, a setup team that we get here at ungodly hours in the morning while you all are still asleep, setting this up. We've done it from day one. It happened this morning. 
A team got here early, suffered and struggled and labored on your behalf. We've had city group leaders that have been leading city groups for four or five years since we started this church. And sometimes that's great until it isn't. And they suffered and they've struggled on your behalf. If you're in this church, you're beneficiaries of people that have labored and fought and struggled and suffered on your behalf. And that's what Paul's reminding them of, and he's inviting them into it. And even as a church now, we're in this next stage where we're looking at uh, for the city center. We're, we're, we're gonna have to, I, I don't want to give money. Anyone excited about that? Some of you are more holy than I am. Bless you. I'm glad. Some, some of you are. But man, for me, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. But it's for the next generation. To live the Christian life is to go through suffering and struggle for something greater than yourself. And that's what he says. I want your hearts to be encouraged because you're now invited into the story that God is telling. And he goes, he goes on. He says, I want your hearts to be knit together in love. So as they're encouraged, that step that will happen is they're going to be knit together in love, which sounds really cute. Gospel unity is a fight. You want to have a unite, and this is why we did the book of Colossians. We're four and a half, five years into a church. We're at the, we're the stage where the honeymoon season's over. It's like, what are we going to be as a church? And there's going to be suffering, struggle, and disagreements, and different philosophies. The hope is that we can be knit together in love, but that happens through sacrifice and struggle. It's not roses and butterflies. Um, we have any married folks in here? There's not, there's not very many of you. Because um, love is like, oh, love. Married folks, sometimes marriage is the valley of the shadow of death. Fair? Come on. Because I've got a bunch of 22-year-olds here that think, oh, it's going to be so wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. They need to hear your chuckle. Listen, love is forged with suffering and struggle. That's what marriage is. Gospel unity to a church, you know where it comes? Suffering and struggle. It comes when you are so committed to a body of believers, so committed to one another, you're willing to suffer, to, to go through things, to wrestle, to disagree, to 1 Peter 1.22, to love one another deeply from the heart. That is suffering and struggle. We are a church made up of many different age groups, beliefs, ethnicity, backgrounds, coming together that God has called us into gospel unity, that only happens through suffering and struggle. It is not easy. It's not cute. And the loss is what happens so often is you come into a church, you start serving on a team, and something happens you don't like, and here's what you do. Well, I'm out. I'm out. And you'll be doing that the rest of your life because there is no perfect church. And if you're looking for it, go on because you have not found it. That actually the way of gospel unity is to, to die to yourself and your preferences and your desires for the sake of other people and to fight for gospel unity, to love and to struggle. To step into ministry is to struggle and suffer. You'll make mistakes. Guys, you know how many mistakes I've made? Some of you are like, yeah, we know a lot of them. Um, you'll be wrong. You will hurt people. You'll be hurt. 
There's times I'm like, I'll go get a different job. I have those days. But the call to unity is suffering and struggle. Listen, we all walk with a limp if you're in ministry. It's really cool that a few weeks ago down front you know elders are always down front afterwards and and we it was when we were raising money for a city center and talking about that and one of our production volunteers comes out he's he's a guy that gets here way early in the morning every single week to set up and he said hood uh, can i talk can i ask you a question can i talk to you about the the building and i'm i'm thinking oh he doesn't he doesn't like it he thinks we should stay here and we don't need to raise all that money and that's what i'm expecting and he says here's my concern you talk about it'll be easier to do ministry when we have this building and we can do all this stuff, but I don't want to lose that sacrifice of getting up early and getting here and setting this thing up. And he's like, we're going to miss something there. And I loved his heart. That's what gospel unity is all about. When I bail because of conflict, because of trouble, because of burnout, when I just bail, I miss sharing the sufferings of Christ. I miss the fight that is gospel unity. So here's what happens. As as we fight together for the sake of the church to tell God's story, what happens is that fight, it stirs my affections for Jesus and his church. You fight and bleed for something, you're going to love it more. And then that love for the church and for one another helps me then endure future suffering. That's how it's supposed to work. Here's how Paul would say it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's going to use the same language in a different letter to a different church. He says, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Do you hear that same language? Sharing the sufferings of Christ. So through Christ we share in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. Which we experience, he's saying to, sh- to join a gospel community is to share in the sufferings of Christ and to go through struggle and discomfort and suffering for one another on one another's behalf. Listen, if Hill City is not your church, I'm okay with that. Go get another church and go plug in. But don't date the church. commit, suffer and struggle and make a covenant that says I'm in I'm going to make this thing happen if you're looking for a perfect church you haven't found it yeah the pastors here, they're they're jerks all of them maybe the Lord Jesus is working on us but we're, we're jerks but when you bounce you miss in the beauty of sharing the sufferings of Christ so, so um, we have city group leaders who have, have been leading in our church for four and five years. And man, I, I've been with you. And I know the fatigue. I know it's like, man, I've been leading this group for four or five years. And I'm just exhausted. I hear you. And sometimes it's good to step out and kind of rest. Maybe for a semester, for, for a season. But then here is what we got to do. We got to get back into the game. What we can't do is like, oh, this is hard. I'm out. We have a lot of students who are trying to lead their own city groups. You came into this thing with grand vision. I'm going to have 14 girls at my group, and we're all going to sit around. We're going to share our, all of our struggles. It's going to be so good, and you have two. 
and you want to bounce, but this is hard, you're right. But it's actually the suffering for those two, you will share more of the gospel than just a flourishing group of 14. So let me say it like this. The last, last week we baptized some folks, and I love baptisms, and I cry every time, and I get this back smile on my face. Last week was extra special because as soon as I dunked the last one, I left out the back door and got on a plane and flew to Florida. <laughs> you didn't know that. Uh, for the past three years, Brad and Michael and I, we go with our wives down to Florida for like four days, right in the middle of January because it's cold and no one wants to be here. And so we just leave. And, and we go and we, we have a rest with our wives. Here are our two rules. Number one, we eat seafood every meal. Every meal. I had it for breakfast. Um, we eat a lot of it. I'm going to have to work out this week. We eat a lot, a lot of seafood. And then here's the second rule. We don't talk about church because we need a break. And we need to get away with our wives and tell stories and make fun of one another and laugh and cry and all those. We've got to get a break. So we're down there on Thursday and Wednesday night and we're supposed to come back Thursday. And we start talking, you know what? We could just start a church down here in Florida. We call it Salt City Church. Like we had it all planned out. You just sit on the beach and it'd be so nice. But we're called here. And so we got back on a plane and we're back to work. Listen, there's a time for rest and for Sabbath, but it's not for five years. Get back in. See, Paul's hope is that suffering the struggle he's been through will unite them in love that they'll stay faithful in the ministry. Listen, 2020's been tough, hasn't it? COVID's exposed our idolatry. I like comfort. I like control. It's exposed it all. And it's easy in a year like 2020 to just say, hey, I'm, I'm out. I'm just going to, I'll just show up at church. I'm not in community. I'm not going to say, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to call you back in. I'm going to call you connect back in. Here, here's some questions for you. What relationships have been fractured that it would be easier just to walk away from, but actually through suffering and struggle, you might need to re-engage? What hurt or disappointment or challenge have you allowed to push you to the sidelines of ministry, to push you into hiding, to silence you? What's it look like through suffering to struggle to step back into that? Where have you wanted to give up? And you, you might look at today's sermon, the scripture of Paul, and say, man, I need to suffer. This is part of the journey that's what's good for me. We did a, song, a psalm of lament or a song earlier of lament. Lament is, is grief. That the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Anyone? Nope. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. That you're not the way you're supposed to be. That this church is not the way it's supposed to be. That's lament. It's grief. But here's what the goal of lament is. It leads us to a righteous anger that says, I will begin to change that. Not just, whoa, this isn't how it's supposed to be. It's, this isn't how it's supposed to be, so let me step in and do something about it. I, make up, I may make up this word. It's a lamentous anger that says, I can step in and change something here. That's what Paul is inviting them into, sacrificial love for one another. So I'm calling you, if, this, if this, you've been coming to this church, to step in and plug in. And if this church isn't it, go find another one and do that. We bless you to go do that. But don't just sit on the sidelines. If you're here and you've been here, um, can you fight to love this church and one another more? Can you fight to love it more than your comfort? More than your preference? 
more than your schedule, more than your materialism. So COVID as a, like a community, we, we kind of went dark. It's like darkened us. We, have, we went quarantine and we, things have shut down. And we pray that it's like the lights are going to start to come back on. Like lights are going to come back up and back to normal. Some of you have distanced yourself from community, from serving. Some of you needed to because of health, health concerns, things like that. Don't let that turn into the next year, two years of your life. As COVID um, starts to, 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 hopefully the lights come back on and we get back to normal, would you plug back in to community and to, and to service? Let me end here. So his goal, their hearts may be encouraged. They be knit together in love, and that's going to give them a full understanding of the mystery of Christ. Do you see that? Your fighting for unity is part of what gives you the full understanding of the mystery of Christ. Of Jesus, who walked the valley of the shadow of death, and as you walk that valley, your hearts are encouraged, you're knit together in love, and you reach more of maturity in Christ. So what's your next step? I don't care where you are. I care what your next step is. So some of you have been coming to our church for a while. You've been off and on through COVID or whatever. You've been coming. Um, The next step maybe for you is Hill City 101. It's how we connect you to our church. Uh, You can register at the connections table on your way out. It happens during this gathering. We just get together. We tell you about the church. We help you find a place to connect and serve. Maybe that's your next step. For some of you, you've been a mature believer for a while, you've been in the church for a while, here's a next step for you. Brad and the team have, have put together what we're calling Hill City Institute, which is you come once a month on a Saturday morning and you learn more than we have time to teach you here on Sunday about the Bible, on your, your gifting. You just learn from some of the best teachers in our area. It's really cool. Some of that needs to be a next step as you grow in maturity of Christ. We have a team right now that's, that's trialing some things. We're getting ready to offer a story workshop, which is a three-day time for you to come in and actually unpack your story with a group of people as you learn how to have more ownership for who you're becoming now and in the future. Maybe that's the next step for you. Uh, Emily and I lead a marriage conference a couple times a year. We have one in two weeks. It's sold out. Maybe couples, you need to come to the next one. Maybe that's the next step is you've got to fight for God for unity in your marriage. What is the next step that's going to help you come to more maturity in Christ. Just hear me. You are here to tell the story of redemption. God is the author of your story, and he's writing it that you might tell the story of redemption, the death of Jesus, the valley of the shadow. Your suffering and your struggle tells the death of Jesus. When you fight for unity, when you fight to love someone that you disagree with, you fight to, 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 to sacrificially love someone that has hurt you, you tell of the death of Jesus. And your faithfulness tells the resurrection of Jesus. You are here to tell the story of redemption. May you not bail when you feel the death in the valley of the shadow of death. May you stay so you can tell the resurrection. Let's pray together.